liberty lockdown please scan your barcode your liberty ain't gone but yeah it's on hold where did it come from and where did it go it requires a fight not tweeting from your phone don't need a king get him off the fucking throne if you're riding with the thought you've always got a home the virus is scared of will come and it'll go the government knows this don't get treated like a hoe It's finally here. We have the great Tom Woods with us today. I am so happy. We can finally take those allowable opinions and throw them on the ground. And the silky smooth words of Tom Woods will be the only sound. It's about damn time. Before I bring him on, goodness gracious, I'm excited. I want to thank our sponsors. As always, Expat Money Summit. They are an upcoming online summit by my friend Mikkel Thorup from expatmoney.com with over 30 experts who are focused on moving your life, business, and wealth offshore. It's free to attend. No freaking excuses, folks. Expatmoneysummit.com. Reclaim your freedom from chaos and uncertainty. Topics will include how to secure your own plan B safe haven, how to legally reduce your tax burden, where the best countries are in the world to find freedom for yourself and your family, how you can get a second passport to travel the globe without restrictions. If World War III pops off and you don't have a second passport, you're going to be pissed. I'm telling you. Register now for free. ExpatMoneySummit.com. This is your way to fight back against what is happening in the world. Stand up, protect yourself, and find out how to secure your new life abroad. Again, register for free at ExpatMoneySummit.com. Just added to the lineup, the great Dr. Ron Paul. Do not miss it. And without further ado, the man of the hour. The legend himself, the great Thomas E. Woods. Welcome in. Hey, Clint. <laughs> I'm very over the top. I apologize. Um, no, it's okay. I, I, I got to do something about, I don't do that much video. I'm going to be doing more video now. I got to do something about the sunlight coming in through this window because it, it washes <laughs> me out. So I'm trying to block it with my head, but that means I'm too close to the camera like Walter Block always is in his videos. So I don't know quite what to do. If you think you're getting wiped out by the backlight, uh, check out my problem here. I, well, true, I, true. But at least you have a view to look at. That's true. That's true. <laughs> um, so what I wanted to talk to you about, or I wanted to start with, I listened to your great episode of the Thomas Wood Show. If you guys haven't listened to it, or the Tom Wood Show, please uh, go subscribe immediately. Uh, you had on, oh my God, I'm blanking on his name. I'll remember Barnes the name. Bon Just tell me the topic. Yeah, Barnes Law. Uh, Robert Barnes. Oh yeah, forgot, yeah, Robert Barnes. Yeah, I forgot his first name for a second, and and I've been put in a a libertarian quandary here, where um, obviously I'm I've been very much so in defense of both Kanye West and Alex Jones, but I what I've started to reflect on, which I had never really considered before, and I thought you would be a perfect guest to ask about this because I've from my vantage point I've witnessed some slander, some libel against you. Uh, uh, yep. So is our slander and libel laws in conflict with libertarianism? Well, strictly speaking, I mean, I'm, I'm sure you're familiar with um, Rothbard's analysis of this, which is that your reputation is really what other people think about you. And so it's right. really it's ideas in other people's brains, but you don't own other people's brains. Mm -hmm. So in that sense, you don't own your reputation. So if... Now, if you have really, really strong libel and slander laws, so strong that, let's say, every single time an untruth is uttered, the person is uttering it is immediately penalized, well then, or let's say 90% of the time, somebody who utters an untruth about you is penalized, then you would pretty much assume that pretty much every major accusation about somebody must be true. Mm. But if you don't have these laws, 
then you're much, much more likely to say, well, gee, that's a pretty awful thing to say. They're really going to have to justify that. I'm not sure if that's true or not. You're much, much more likely to be skeptical about things that people say about others. So that's one thing. But then also, it's it, kind of like that, where it yeah, can yeah. ultimately lead, even if it gives you a little bit of short-term satisfaction, you know, when, when used against certain people, it's going to tend to be used against who? Against enemies of the regime. That's right. always, it'll always be used that way. Um, that's, that's how it's going to be used. And then it, it becomes intentional infliction of emotional distress, which is a fake, that's a fake crime. That's not a real thing. Well, I mean, anything, anything you say and do, I, if I call you a name, maybe that inflicts emotional distress on you, but that's not aggression. I get that's a, I get a hundred, I, I get a hundred tweets a day that inflict emotional distress on me. Exactly. Tom. And that's why we <laughs> use the word aggression. There was a time, a brief period where some wishy-washy libertarians wanted to talk, instead of non-aggression, they want to talk non-harm. But harm is a weasel word. Right. Because I could harm you by out-competing you in the marketplace. Should I be penalized for that? I could harm you by uh, insulting you. Uh, uh, I could harm you by being late all the time. Should I be punished or put in prison for any of these things? So I, I think it's best to just stick with non-aggression. It is... It's a, you know, it's not an ideal solution, but the problem is all the alternatives are bad also. Now, it's possible to imagine that let's, let's say um, in, a, in an ANCAP society, maybe there's some big, big voluntarily agreed to area where there are certain rules in there. Maybe in, in, in this particular settlement, there's a rule that you can't say, if you're going to accuse somebody of some horrible crime, uh, if you don't have any evidence, then we're going to penalize you for that. You know, well, then you voluntarily agreed to that. Mm -hmm. But I think the default is, you know, I mean, look, I mean, look, look at uh, half the country thinks Hillary Clinton's a murderer. The other half thinks Donald Trump's a murderer. It, <laughs> it goes with the territory. They have to live with it. And they're both right. <laughs> <laughs> they're both right. <laughs> Yeah, I mean it's it's interesting. Truth because, is a defense, after all, right? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's interesting because uh, yeah, I was I was just in the gym a second ago, and by the way, my air conditioning is out for the audience's sake. I I would have dressed more appropriately for the great Tom Woods, but I did not have a choice. My air conditioning, I am freezing in here. So that's why. I <laughs> oh, oh, rub it in, rub that it in. You, if that makes you feel any better, I'm very. <laughs> by the transitive properties of your air conditioning, I feel much better. Um, so I was I was in the gym a minute ago, and I was just thinking about it, and I was like, I was like. It's it's almost it almost makes me start to question like uh, a hitman like if you because I mean obviously the accusation against Alex Jones was way over the top and completely far fetched and, and basically they were saying that he sicked his audience on these poor parents that were grieving over the death of their children and like you know God bless him I'm sure that was not fun uh, but at the same time like I am of the belief that it is ultimately the the person who actually goes out and harasses these parents that is guilty of something you know depending on the the extent yeah. of the harassment and yeah. if it, if it gets so severe that these people have to move well then you know they should probably take it up with the people that are doing the harassing not necessarily the guy who's verbally just discussing in, in broad based for those that aren't familiar alex didn't give out addresses i don't even think he gave out the majority of their names even though uh, most yeah, of them were names right were, were publicly yeah. known so yeah it, it it's it's interesting because then i started thinking i'm like well if you tell someone to go kill someone are you are you should you be held culpable and to what extent and is it is it actually equal in the extent or is the per, is the murderer you know in fact the only person that should be held liable and i had never really considered it. i had always just kind of like taken well yeah if you tell someone to go kill someone and they do it 
that should probably be criminal. But at the same time, now I'm like, I don't know. I don't know if I actually believe that. Yeah, I'm not entirely sure either. I mean, I mean, there is there's also that line between a threat and actually carrying out the threat. Sure. So if if I come at you with a knife and I'm approaching you menacingly, uh, I don't think it would be much defense on my part if you, let's say, kick me in the head, anticipating that I was going to stab you with the knife. I don't think it would be much defense for me to say, what? I was just showing you my new knife. I don't know mm. why you reacted the way you did. So <laughs> in other words, there are cases where the line is a little bit fuzzy. And this is a case where you have to use the old legal principle of what would a reasonable person do in that situation? And right. a reasonable person in that kind of situation would assume he's about to be assaulted. And so a reasonable person could therefore be expected to defend himself in anticipation of a, of a coming attack. Mm -hmm. So something like this, well, I, I think you'd have to look at it on a case-by-case -case basis. Um, if you were dealing with a person, let's say, who was um, very, very suggestible because of some mental defect, um, let's say had the, had the mentality of a seven-year-old child but was 35, and you said, go kill that person, I think that would be much graver than mm -hmm. if I said to you, go kill, if I said to you, go kill that person, you're not going to do it. I mean, right. Right? If, if, some, if somebody could tell you all day long to go kill somebody and you would never even consider it. Right. So I, so I am inclined to leave it with who actually landed the blow, because maybe mm -hmm. you could sit around and fantasize all day about robbing banks. But if you don't actually rob the bank, you know, or if I tell you, go rob that bank, and then you rob it. I don't know. Like, is it? My, I'm the one who sat here and did nothing. You know, I. So, so just for being the idea man, I. I don't know. I mean, it seems yeah. like if that's what floats people's boats, they ought to be able to fantasize about robbing banks. And well, I. Know, I don't know. I, I, I think, think the bank robber is the one you should act on. Yeah. No, I tend to as well. And I think only if it, if like there's a contract or money changes hands and you're actually ordering a hitman to go. Right. Then it's then it's totally yeah, different. Then then it's then it's really. Because the things, people point. say crazy things all day long, and then we have yeah. to get into you ever you ever ridden a public bus? My God! Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and then so then what? The law has to adjudicate how seriously did the person mean the thing he said? Come on! <laughs> right? No, it does get very very gray area. Um, and the reason I'm asking about all this, I did an episode about a week ago uh, where I broke down and argued against someone who I had liked and I still like, but uh, I did lose a little bit of respect for him was Jacob Hornberger, who was the Mises caucus endorsed uh, nominee or whatever for, or, or he attempted to be the libertarian party candidate in the last election cycle. And he's, he wrote an article saying Alex Jones got what he deserved. And yeah. I found that quite appalling uh, from a, you know, it's just, I think that the disconnect here, at least the one that I view is that it seems that there are some people that don't understand exactly what danger we are in as being political dissidents in this particular period in time. I'm not saying that, you know, this is always the case. I think throughout the first 20 plus years of my life, it wasn't necessarily the case. But at this point, it seems like such a grave danger to be endorsing any sort of state apparatus that allows our speech to be curtailed. Seems like a terribly dangerous precedent to allow for, much less endorse or verbally support. What's, where do you fall on this? Well, I mean, I, I like Barnes on this. So TomWoods.com slash 2219. I don't know the episode numbers of all my shows, but I've been sending that link out a lot. So I memorized it. Uh, sure. That's where I, I talked to Barnes about Alex Jones. Well, for instance, uh, in order to reach this crazy $965 million verdict, 
they had to, they, because th typically we hear all these defamation cases, $250 million defamation case. We, we think that it's just commonplace for there to be these nine figure settle or, or decisions made, but, but not at all. The, the average such decision is uh, under a hundred thousand dollars. Right. So this is wildly out of scale, but in order to reach that, they had to get him not so much with defamation, but with uh, on on cons on faulty consumer product grounds. So, so they were using a law that you use if you sell a faulty consumer product to, to people. But of course, Alex Jones was not selling any product, and the case has nothing to do with the sale of products. But <clears throat> that was a convenient way because under those laws, the the decisions can be very high. So they just used it. Now, why would you, as a lawyer, look at that and say, "Yeah, that this gives this causes me no pause whatsoever." Uh, he got what he deserved, really. Mm -hmm. So there's that. Then the fact that one of the people who got ninety million dollars in this ninety million was an FBI agent who worked on the case, didn't know any of the families, no, didn't, no, no Sandy Hook family, oh but he worked on the case and. You know, Alex Jones said something about him, and so ninety million dollars. The FBI. Look, maybe if there's an, an you know, I, I say a lot of nasty things about FBI people. <laughs> right? Me, me this too. is crazy. <laughs> the FBI guy gets I made a career out of it. Dollars, <laughs> and not to mention the 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 uh, at least in um, in one of the trials, the the jury pool was questioned on whether they were willing to uh, consider very, very high payouts as, as a prerequisite for being on the jury. They had to agree that $10 million per person was not unreasonable. Well, now you're hearing that, that um, I don't know if you saw this headline the other day, but now they're talking about, wait a minute, maybe we should go back and think about this again, because there is a formula by which we could reach 2.7 trillion dollars <laughs> which is more than the GDPs of most countries of the world. Now, by the way, bear in mind, the, what is the family of the actual shooter paying, right? I mean, right. Alex Jones didn't actually shoot anybody, right? He didn't right. shoot anybody. And they want to, they ultimately go for $2.7 trillion. Now, I know you're not, you don't dare say anything bad about these parents now, right? <laughs> Nobody dares say anything bad about these parents now. So I won't say anything bad about them. I will say it is absolutely normal and not <laughs> ghoulish at all to exploit the deaths of your children to try to wring $2.7 trillion out of somebody. That is perfectly normal and very much to be praised. Yes. I love the, the framing on that. Uh, well, well played. Yeah. I mean, I, I've been. I tweeted it out also in a kind of obfuscated fashion where I didn't say anybody's name and I just kind of used the the timing of the tweet for everyone to know what I was talking about. But I could not agree more. It's a totally reasonable ask. Everybody who is wronged verbally by anyone absolutely deserves the GDP of France. Uh, yeah. Couldn't agree more. Um, yeah. I mean, it's it's just very concerning to me because, you know, Jacob Hornberger is obviously well read. I'm sure he's read Rothbard like it's just it's it was perplexing to me that he could come to that uh, conclusion, particularly given that he is a an attorney. It's fascinating. But uh, I don't really want to harp on that too much. I, I did want to ask you about the you know, and granted, I am a fan of Alex Jones. I'll put my cards on the table. And I think that uh, much of his work and his research uh, has been high quality over the years. And obviously, much of it has been not high quality and <laughs> pretty bad. Uh, but 
I, I, I've always appreciated anybody as, as someone who's a political dissident, who's seeking truth. And we are being, we are awash in lies in a way that I don't think I ever imagined possible at this point in particular, especially after the past two years. I can't believe that anyone wouldn't want more people digging, more people that are trying to tell the truth. And I feel like Alex has done that. Um, but anyways, the what my read of this and putting on my tinfoil hat to go along with my defense of Alex Jones is that this is a, a broader attack against people like you and I. And I know I'm I'm personalizing this and perhaps unnecessarily so, but I can't help but feel as if they are trying to make the, the bill for dissident thought and dissident speech so high that if it doesn't ultimately kill, you know, third rail political commentators, it it scares them into submission or chills their speech adequately that we become less of a threat. Am I reading too much into this or do you get that vibe as well? Well, of course, that's a vibe I get. And it's it's funny, of course, all the fashionable libertarians who are so tiresome, I try to ignore them the best I can, <laughs> which since they're all pygmies and they none of them do anything, it's it's not hard to ignore them. But all these people, uh, you know, they of course need to broadcast to make sure the New York Times understands that they do not support Alex Jones, right? They, they have to make sure. The New York Times doesn't even know they exist, right? But they've got to make sure Wolf Blitzer knows that we're not like that Woods, you know? We're not like Clint Russell, you know? Right. We, we, we So it that irritates me that they pretend that there's nothing more to see here than just one simple case or one particular individual. But of course there is, I mean, when we saw Alex Jones get deplatformed platformed uh, from several places pretty much simultaneously, right? Um, I was very concerned about that, even as somebody who, uh, when I say I'm not an Alex Jones fan, I'm not an Alex Jones opponent. I just, I, to be perfectly honest with you, I don't listen to anybody. Okay, I, I listen fair. to Dave once in a while, but I really don't listen to anybody. I feel like right. when I'm when I'm off the job, I'm off the job. Like a plumber doesn't listen to plumbing podcasts. In his spare time. Like I, I want to do other things. Um, I, I listen to a thing, to podcasts on completely different topics. But anyway, right. I, I have nothing against the guy. In, sure. as, as, you know, I don't see any reason to have anything against him. And so when he got deplatformed, I did think that was something to be concerned about. Mm-hmm. And, and at that time, we were also told, oh, it's just this one person because he's so wildly unreasonable and you don't have anything to worry about because you're not wildly unreasonable. And then suddenly lots of reasonable people, so-called, found themselves getting deplatformed, who were telling unambiguously uh, unambiguous truths, mm-hmm. suddenly started getting deplatformed. And then it was, then the excuse was, well, that's the free market and these companies can do what they want. Then we find out that the federal government is actually naming people. They actually say to Twitter, you know, we don't like Alex Berenson. <laughs> you know, they actually say. And then at this point, then the, you know, then they don't really quite know what to say, but they really don't want to be on the side of Alex Berenson. They don't want to be on the side against Dr. Fauci. It's, it is all about respectability for these people. And respectability right. is craving of respectability is the worst possible motivator. It leads you down all kinds of treacherous alleys. So the point is, Alex Jones got deplatformed. The same people who say today that this case is unique because of his unique wickedness were saying that about his deplatforming. Mm-hmm. And then we saw everybody else having these problems. I mean, I have I did a couple of episodes of the Tom Woods show recently that I didn't put up on YouTube because I knew there'd be what's the point? They're going to be taken down. I'm going to get a strike against my channel. So I have to put them up on Odyssey. I think I'm on Rumble. My tech people do this for me. Um, 
I like Odyssey, uh, or just, you know, through the usual podcast apps. Because as you know, podcasting has been, at least up to now, for the most part, with very, very few exceptions, a channel through which unfiltered ideas can still pass. And so I can still do that. But so, you know, so I myself, in fact, I was hanging by a thread on my YouTube channel for uh, several months. I don't use my YouTube channel as much as I might, but still I would prefer to have it because I can of reach course. some people that way. Um, so I don't have this sanguine view that we shouldn't worry about it. It's just a one-time, one-off thing because of his unique wickedness. Um, you know, look, the pre if the president of the United States can't get on Twitter, <laughs> you know, then then I think there's a concern for you and me. Right. Well, and I think it was less than a year between the Alex Jones mass banning and Trump being banned. It's like the, the slippery slope is not just real, but it's rapid. <laughs> you know, Do you like, remember when, when people used to criticize us for talking about the slippery slope? And oh, yeah. This is all just a bunch of hysteria and right wing paranoia and all that. The slippery slope argument turns out to be uh, consistently reliably correct. It's batting better than Tony Gwynn at this point. I mean, it's incredible. <laughs> uh, no, I'm serious. It, it's it's <laughs> it's so concerning that that people can still kind of I don't know compartmentalize the treatment of Alex Jones and not see the obvious extrapolation into our arena in particular. And the fact that Alex Berenson, a guy who was banned, even though he was telling the truth, and then obviously got his account back because he sued because the CDC was actually directing um, Twitter on what their policies should be. And then he turns around and he says, fuck Alex Jones. I, he got exact. I hope his entire career is ruined. And it's like, yeah, can you not connect these dots folks? Like just because yeah. you're saying something that's un unpopular, even if, even if what you're saying was true, which in Alex uh, in Barrington's case, it was true. Alex has said some true things too. Do you think he was actually banned because of what he was saying about the Sandy Hook parents? Or do you think it was because he was in staunch opposition to Iraq one Afghanistan invasion, all this other stuff. The fact that he also questioned the, the narratives on the elections and ultimately brought many of his, uh, his audience yeah. members to the Capitol on January 6th. I mean, that's really, in my view, that's really why he is viewed as such a threat. And ultimately he is kind of the, the ringleader of people who are, in direct opposition to the narrative, whatever that narrative is, and it's constantly evolving. And I I love those people, and I will always stand in defense of those people. In fact, I've seen many anti-war socialists who obviously I disagree with on a hell of a lot that have been banned recently, and I am terribly in opposition to that as well. I, like We need to stand together, particularly with the incoming potential of World War III, and now they're labeling you know, American and French and European reporters who are talking about kind of the Russian argument as to what led to this war, what's transpiring currently, and they're labeling them as Russian affiliated media on Twitter. We can you can see it right now. It's absolutely evil. And I just I just really am disappointed that there isn't more unanimity when it comes yeah, to the yeah. opposition. Well, let, me say to the let me say something about Berenson. I I, I want to give him his due, first of all. Uh, because in terms of the things that he's done, he has done a lot of good things and he did expose a lot of truths and he he got some things right before before I did. That's for sure. And I wasn't sure he was right. It turns out he was right. He's, yeah, no, he's, he's, he's not great. right on everything. And in particular, from the beginning, he seems to have had this view that if he could just 
keep his distance from certain right-wing quarters, then he might be taken seriously, right. you know, as one of the serious people. He's still seeking respect. Yeah. And this was such a case of self-delusion, and yet it's still going on. He still can't <laughs> help himself. He's still got to say, hey, I'm not like that guy over there, as if that's the urgent matter before us right now. Right, right, And right, right. also the way he treats people who disagree. There are obviously people of goodwill who are talking about um, certain treatments for COVID-19, mm -hmm. you know? Yes. Obviously people of goodwill. And he mocks and ridicules them. Instead of saying, look, I know your heart's in the right place. We all want to find a, a good treatment. You're just going to have to show me better evidence for this one. That, that's how you That's how you address people who are 85% on your side, right? That's how you address them. You don't dismiss them in front of the whole world, hoping that the world will say, oh, what a reasonable man Alex Berenson turns out to be. Did that happen at all? Did anyone ever say that? Did they say, well, he really treated Robert Malone like a like an SOB. So I, I bet you Alex Berenson's a great guy. Uh, didn't work out for him. No, it did not. <laughs> it definitely didn't. Um, and I think that now that we've been, you, I, Dave, Berenson, all these other people have been proven correct on our assessment about COVID-19, the treatments, the protocols, the mandates, the lockdowns, everything. I mean, we are, we have, again, batted better than Tony Gwynn on this stuff. Uh, <laughs> sorry, I keep bringing it up because my Padres just got knocked out of the freaking playoffs. It's breaking my heart. Sorry. Um, but I, I wanted to ask you a little bit about the uh, kind of in hindsight, if you have gone down the Alex Jones path and in, in analyzing why we were treated the way we were and perhaps what were some ulterior motives for their goals moving forward. Before I before I get your answer, I need to thank one more sponsor. Hold on one second for me. Uh, and that is CrowdHealth. As you guys know, there are many things in life that are very important to consider. Very, 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 very important. And whether you're going to buy a house, who you're going to marry, if you're going to have kids, how many kids you're going to have, what schools they're going to go to, all this stuff. We put all this time and research into these handful of important topics. At least the responsible people out there do. Some of us don't. But what we don't put a lot of thought into is our own healthcare. And given how freaking expensive healthcare has gotten, uh, I'd say it's important to start to put that same effort there. And you don't have to put a ton of effort into this one. In fact, two weeks ago, I did an episode with the founder of CrowdHealth where you can actually learn exactly the ins and outs of how that worked. I'll post that down below. Uh, you can see any doctor you want, no deductibles, exclusions, or co-pays. Only pay the first $500 of any healthcare event. The CrowdHealth community takes care of the rest. No exclusive doctor networks, no huge premiums or high deductibles, and no surprises. Let's be honest, the insurance model is broken. CrowdHealth has a better way to fund your healthcare costs. So, Open enrollment is in November. Take charge of your healthcare today with CrowdHealth. Open enrollment is the only time that you can hit eject on your broken system without penalty, so don't wait. And for a limited time, join for $99 per month for your first six months when you use promo code LOCKDOWN at joincrowdhealth.com. That's joincrowdhealth.com, promo code LOCKDOWN. CrowdHealth is not health insurance. It's a totally different way of paying for healthcare. Terms and conditions may apply. And if you can still remember the question I asked you before, uh, I'm, I'm asking for a little conspiracy theorizing from you, but I, I have my own ideas. I don't have any answers here, so I'll preface it by saying I don't know exactly, but I have some theories. Have you given any thought to that? Well, I've started to, and I have to say that this is an area where, uh, regardless of what Alex Jones's answers are, he's been asking a question that, um, look, I was slow to ask. 
I'll, I'll be honest to, uh, and, and answer that. I, I, I was slow to ask it, which is who the hell is running things? Right. That's basically what he's been asking. Mm-hmm. Who is actually running things? Why is there so much continuity in the United States, for example, from one presidential administration to another? Who the hell is actually running things? Right. And there are a lot of different possible answers. Now, of course, these days, there's a lot of attention uh, being given to the so-called the World Economic Forum, which I bet most of us a few years ago had never even heard of. <laughs> no, exactly. It wasn't even on the radar. Now, everybody wants to know about it, which I assume is not the way they like it. Uh, no. I assume they like to be more in the background, like the Federal Reserve. And now we're watching them, too. But in terms of trying to figure out exactly who and how and the mechanisms they're using, um, I know there are some people out there who feel like they've got it all figured out and they have the whole flow chart figured out. Let's be honest. No one can have that level of information. But we can have very informed hunches. And I, I mean, look, the, I will say about the, the WEF, they have this program whereby they um, they try to, to raise up young leaders and place them in regimes around the world. I mean, that, that's not particularly subtle. No. I'm not doing that. They brag <laughs> you about it. Should. They <laughs> brag about it on video. And yes, we ought to be doing that. Absolutely. <laughs> yeah. I mean, if only as a defense mechanism against what they're doing. Exactly. Yeah, it's the WF or the World Economic Forum, Young Global Leaders. You can look at that's up. what it is. Young Global Leaders, right? And yeah. you know, and, and meanwhile, we're all sitting back repeating libertarian slogans like uh, I just want to be left alone. Right. Well, okay, then I guess Klaus Schwab won't try to um ruin your life then. If if yeah, you good. if you put that little sign on your door, he passes you over. <laughs> okay. <laughs> yeah. Good luck. Just throw yeah. up that, that your, so, I mean, your, I, I, your nap I'm card. I'm still at the, the the very beginnings of trying to make sense of all this. And I am grateful to my friends who finally said to me, uh, something's fishy. <laughs> right? yeah. Something is fishy here. And then the other thing that I've been really, really slow on, because um, sometimes people ask me, well, have you changed your mind on anything over the years? And well, sure I have. I, I have changed my mind on some things. I mean, maybe, I don't know if you know this, but I was a neocon a very long time ago. Sure. Because... I, you know, it was before the internet and neocon and left liberal were the only choices that I knew of. So mm-hmm. I guess I'm a neocon. Like, I didn't even know the word neocon, but I look right. back at my opinions and they were pretty, pretty neocon. But I'm then like when 40 I, years ago, I, I'll forgive it. Uh, yeah, thank you. I, I think the statute of limitations for that offense <laughs> has expired. <laughs> but, but so I changed my mind on foreign policy, which a lot of people who came into the Ron Paul movement say that they did. Um, I had already changed it a long time before that, but a lot of people say they changed their, their mind on this. Well, one thing I've sort of begun to change my mind on, and I, it took 2020 and being bashed over the head with how corrupt the medical establishment is, how utter, utter, at the, the, the best thing you can say about most of it is the complete lack of curiosity mm-hmm. among most people involved in it. Not all. We all know some honorable people, some good doctors, some truth tellers, but there's just no curiosity. The central authority says I should prescribe this. Then I guess all I need to hear. And then, oh yeah, well, there's this paper which has 5,000 flaws, would never be allowed to pass peer review in any other discipline. Uh, That's that's all I need. I, I was very slow to, to be uh, on the ball with regard to the to so-called big pharma. I, right. I and, and I even thought, and I just said this on an episode of my show, I even thought that people who uh, harped on this 
probably had like a screw loose or something. I mean, don't they understand <laughs> all the benefits of modern medicine? I mean, I had the same kind of dumb guy, obvious arguments that I can't stand when they're used against me. Don't right, you know right. we need to social distance and flatten the curve? Well, yeah, I think I do because I've heard that a hundred billion times, <laughs> you midwit. Why are you repeating that to me? And yet I'm just repeating back at these people all, as if they have no response, all these sorts of things. And now you pull the curtain back and it's a mess. It is just a train wreck. Um, well, what, what I'm appreciative of is that I think that when you start to see crisis in in a function what appears to be on the surface a functioning system it kind of shows how deep the rot really is and i think that that's beneficial if you're someone like us who's kind of a you know obviously i advocate on behalf of the libertarian party and third parties more broadly um and libertarianism specifically and and i'm just so in in hindsight i'm very grateful that you know, my message is much more appealing to people who have been woken up because of the abuses that they suffered, because they lost their jobs. I'm, I'm not grateful for their treatment. I obviously wish it hadn't occurred, but I'm just saying I see it as a as a tremendous opportunity. I mean, the fact that my show has had so much so much success is because I named it Liberty Lockdown and I started in May 2020, two months into lockdowns. Like I was staunchly opposed and I was covering every step of the way as I listened to your show. You were doing the same. And it's like the this was the greatest red pilling of our lifetimes. What's fascinating to me is like they were able to transition effortless, effortlessly from the COVID psyop directly into the Ukraine, Russia war, world war three psyop. And still it's not like, unfortunately the red pilling doesn't transfer to the, to the newest psyop in my estimation. Sometimes right. it does. Okay. If, 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 if it's red enough, uh, then, yes. then it, then it's, you know, because I had this great guy uh, from the, um, FLCCC, it's the Frontline COVID Care, COVID nineteen yeah. Critical Care Alliance. Mm -hmm. Pierre, Doctor Pierre Corey, I had him on a couple of weeks ago. Yeah, he's great. And toward the end, now he's a, he's a a doctor, and that's what he focuses on. He's not he's not super duper political or anything, or he wasn't before. Sure. And he said that now his attitude is now that he's seen this. We we had this kind of interesting meeting of the minds toward the end of the episode because he's seen how the New York Times treats topics he knows about. And he mm -hmm. says, well, wait a minute, geez, if they're this stupid on things I know about, how bad have they been on things I don't know anything about? And I exactly. said, you see, now this, I'm a historian. They're terrible on that. Right. I know that because I'm a historian. So I just assume they're probably bad on things that, that I don't know anything about. Mm -hmm. And he basically said that I'm just never going to just go along with whatever the thing is without seriously investigating it. And I said, exactly right. I am not putting any kind of emoji in my social media. I'm not doing <laughs> any of this. So if so, he got the deep red pill where right. it did not, I don't know what his views on Ukraine were, but he was kind of implying that whatever the latest elite obsession is, he's not going for it. I love it. I love it. I mean, that's that's obviously what we need a hell of a lot more for, especially when freaking mushroom clouds are the potential conclusion of you not you know, processing and transferring that red pulling over to the latest uh, propaganda. And it's just, it's really deeply concerning to me that that's where we're headed. I, I'm not sure if you've been following it super closely, but we have the 101st Airborne that was transferred to the, you know, the Eastern Bloc region uh, just on the border of Ukraine. They're doing drills. Looks like they could be preparing to potentially engage Russia inside of Ukraine. I mean, that if you, 
it's it's fascinating and i wanted to ask you about this that you know obviously you're old enough to have remembered the cold war a little bit i was a, a you know baby during it but um it seemed to me that it was pretty much unanimous that we all understood the reason that the, war, the it was called the cold war is because if we that didn't war, want a hot war if that war went hot we would all die right. i mean yeah, was yeah. That... And, and there were summits between the soviet premier and the american president regularly right, right. they met now, with each now other we, at now the we top. don't talk and sometimes like at reykjavik they would fall apart sure and other times there would be real progress and also um it it came out a little bit more after he left office but even at the time reagan was in office i think some people knew he was sincere about wanting to reduce nuclear armaments. He was genuinely sincere about that. And he wanted to be viewed in the history books as a peacemaker. Mm -hmm. And you just don't get that sense that that's what's motivating him. Of course, there aren't going to be any summits. There aren't going to be any talking. And, and if this Ukraine thing had been going on, you would at least have had 30 to 40% confidence that behind closed doors, they're probably talking. Sure. Whereas you hope. <laughs> I, I've got 3 to 4% that they're, that they're talking. I, I hope, I hope yeah. this is a lot of bluster. It's I, I, just crazy. And it's just crazy how, to the extent to which people, I mean, they went along with the destruction of their lives for two years. Apparently they're willing to go along with the destruction of their lives forever. Right. If, if it means it is so important to some people to go along with whatever the powerful want, whatever the mm -hmm. powerful want, they're going to support. Because, uh, you know, I keep mentioning my, my old friend, Jeff Lescovar. He has this theory that what motivates, because he would say, look, what the hell do climate change, COVID, and Ukraine have in common? That everybody would basically have the same opinions on all three uh, as a group. Like, why would that be? And he says, well, the answer is the elites all have, the, they have this opinion on this, this opinion on this, this opinion on this. There are some people who are hardwired, maybe from, you know, years and maybe however many years ago uh, when we were just hunter-gatherers and you didn't want to be left out in the cold and not part mm. of the tribe who just feel a compulsion to belong to the group. You know, like they're the ones who in high school made fun of you if you were a little bit different because right. uh, you weren't part of the group and they find their security in the group. So the group says, wave this flag, whatever the hell flag you want me to wave, I'll wave it. Mm -hmm. I, I, I'll wave it to the point where the, the, the flag turns to ash and I'm dead. Yeah. It, it's incredible that it is such a powerful, powerful motivator. Yeah, well, it's it's the Michael Malice, you know, NPC phenomenon. These are non-player characters. They they honestly don't seem to have any original individual thought processes. I mean, at least none that they they publicize. It's like whatever they're doing, like as you described it, it went from you know you have the COVID mask to the Black Lives Matter fist to the to the uh, vaccine emoji to the Ukraine flag emoji, and it's like it transitions effortlessly. Thing. Isn't it interesting how quick that happened because. These same people were all saying, I will never take any Trump vaccine. Right. And then it was, if you don't take the Trump vaccine, I hope you die. <laughs> yes, exactly. Yeah. Okay. I know, by the way, by the way, I want to, I forgot something I wanted to say. You know, I have 2,200 plus episodes of the Tom Woods show. And yes, I you do. tried to make some, I mean, some of them are current events, but I, I really have made an effort to make a lot of them evergreen, like on a lot of topics that libertarians should know something about. So that yep. somebody joining years from now, the, the stream of episodes could just jump right in and still get some value out of it. But for two years, I did so many COVID related episodes. Mm -hmm. And then I, I, for a while I thought, ah, oh, this is too bad because no one's going to want to listen to these years down the road. But for somebody who wasn't around at the time or really aware of what was going on, 
That is actually a very interesting day-by-day recording of what it was like and what the craziness was like and the arguments they were making and how they were evolving and shifting and how we were trying to live our lives. So actually, I think it is it is evergreen. Even, no, you know, totally. you, you might think, ah, that's that's all over and done. That's only good for people who were living at the time. I think we need to have a good day by day kind of a diary of what life was really like. Yeah, I think it's so fresh that a lot of people don't want to think about it right now. But I, I hope, assuming we're fortunate enough to avoid nuclear holocaust, that that, you know, 10 or 20 years from now, we have historians that go back through and really digest and process what we just experienced because I, I I personally believe that it was the the most dangerous period assuming we make it out without all dying the most g- dangerous period of groupthink and herd mentality and uh technocracy and a belief in authority and their infallibility no matter how many times they overtly lied to us and how many things were provably wrong it's it's astonishing the period okay, we have, have been and are here. living I, through I have, I have to jump in here I just clicked on comments because I don't know how this works. I've only used StreamYard a couple times. Somebody says, I wonder if Tom is still a Zionist. What a jerk. I have never (laughs) been a Zionist. I have absolutely no thing I have ever said, no position I've taken ever to indicate I'm a Zionist. I don't know where they got that. I've never, ever been a Zionist, ever. In fact, I wrote articles about um, why Christian Zionism is all wrong. Um, I've uh, quoted the popes, um, uh, Pius X and others talking about um, you know the, the, the conditions under which the Jewish people return to their homeland, all of that stuff. I, there is absolutely no possible grounds on which you could accuse me of being a Zionist, unless the default is everybody's a Zionist unless I dig through and find, I mean, I, I've never ever even remotely suggested that I might be a Zionist. Tom, Tom, so dude. shut up and you owe me an apology. I'll apologize for them. Don't take it personally, man. Yeah, no, look, I don't care. Like it's just, I'm never going to meet this person, but just like sometimes I love our people so much, but sometimes you run into that person, you know, you run it. Oh, I know. I, I I had, I had somebody um, speculate that I was part of a Jesuit conspiracy to take over the world. Now, first of all, I was flattered because if I'm part of something to take over the world, they must think I'm kind of important. You're an elite. The whole argument was based on, well, let's see. So we've got evidence. First of all, his father graduated from a Jesuit high school in, in, uh, in what was it, 1960. Uh, okay, first of all, I never lived in Wisconsin. My father was born in 1951, so he would have been nine. He was a real prodigy graduating from high school. They had this whole thing, and they had found all these other Tom Woodses. None of them were me. Oh and and all they proved was that whoever this Tom Woods was went to a Jesuit high school. I went to North Andover High School, a public school, where I was the valedictorian in 1990. Or valedictorian, just like Joe Biden. Um, no, I'm just kidding. Oh, was he? No, no, he just lies about it. <laughs> I, was gonna say, he li- I was gonna say, I heard that that um, uh, John McCain, wh- whatever it was, whatever grad thing he went to, was at like the bottom of his class. Oh yeah, and no, yet, I, Joe Biden. They rise no, to the top, as Hayek says. No, it, as, as they're on the campaign trail, they suddenly they go from the bottom, you know, quintile to the 99th percent. It's incredible how that works. Uh, <laughs> politicians lie. Breaking news. Uh, we got some nicer comments. In fact, we got like 60 comments, but I'm only going to pull up two of the nice ones. Uh, we got Top Lobster, to my homie. He says, Tom Woods is the man. We'd love to see you on No Way Jose's Anarchist Handbook series. I'd also love to help you create some merch for your loyal fan base. Shameless plug. Uh, he is actually the the man behind all of my art. So I don't oh, know. If you... I know. He gave me a shirt at the 2000th episode. I have a, a shirt oh, awesome. commemorating that event. Um, you know, I have been it's on. Well, I erased it, but 
I have a whiteboard here, just like a, a teacher in a classroom, because I use it because otherwise I'm, I can't use any app to keep track of, of my things to do. Because I, I hate, I just, for some reason, I don't like it. I like it on a piece of paper. I, I want something where I can physically cross it out when I've done it. Yes, but then I'm I the have same way. pieces of paper all over my house, and I hate that. So I got this <laughs> whiteboard, and I have like short term, medium term, long term goals written on there, and 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 setting up a merch store for myself was on there for so long I couldn't look at it anymore. <laughs> I just had to take it away because the thing is, like, I don't want just products with my logo on them because who wants that? I don't want a right. Tom Woods show hat. You know, so I'd have to come up with something clever and I don't have anything clever. You know, I know oh. you think I'm just being falsely modest. I don't have anything T-shirt clever. That's my I'm, point. I'm I don't have anything you, coffee mug clever. Top, I don't want to have is the guy. You know, it's too much work. Top, top is the guy. I'll give you his contact info. He's he's the all man. right. I, pretty, I um, could probably reach him if I needed to. But all right. Yeah, of course. Of course. Um, and then we just got uh, homie over at Libertarian Podcast Review says congrats on the Tom Woods interview. Um, I mean, we got a hell of a lot more, but I, I, I'll just keep it moving uh no one else has sent money so you don't get your comments read sorry guys that's how it works <laughs> capitalism capitalism over here folks um yep. so i i wanted to ask you if you uh, well putting all my cards on the table once again i'm of the opinion that well tom or excuse me tom don donald trump was not a libertarian i do i am still of the opinion that he was a quote-unquote outsider in that he was not under the direct control of whoever, as you were saying earlier, who the hell runs everything, you know, like, yeah. I don't think he is one of them. And I think that's why he was abused and uh, basically cooed, <laughs> cooed out of power, even though I'm not a fan of Donald Trump. Don't get it twisted. Right. I'm just saying, I think that he was an outsider. And, and my question for you is this. I think that Donald Trump's election signaled to the people that the powers that be, if you will, that the, the economic system, the governmental system, the cultural system, their their entire mechanisms for control, their panopticon is so tenuous, it's so weak at this late stage that they can no longer risk there being an outsider candidate. And I wonder if they will ever allow us a genuine, even in the binary, you know, two-party system, if they will ever allow us to have a actual option to remedy this at the electoral. Avenue. Okay, that's a good question. I mean, I know there are some people who say Donald Trump was controlled opposition, but yes, the fury against him is so out of control, irrational, that they, they're way overdoing it. I mean, he's not even in office anymore, and they're still, you know, and that doesn't yeah. make sense. If he were controlled opposition, they would be, they would be, you know, allocating their resources to something else by now. You've evaluated so the same way that. I have. Yeah. I, I, and the thing is, you know, there are some areas of some things where he is different from them. Um, you know, like his his immigration views, although his policy in practice was more or less the status quo. Sure. So when you actually look at the way he governed in practice, with the exception of energy policy and maybe uh, the Supreme Court, he's not wildly out of line with with other national level politicians. So what could account for the hysteria, if not indeed, as you say, this concern that he can't be controlled? Right. You know, they don't they, they can't they don't own him. You know, mm -hmm. nobody owns him. That, that's, that's the concern. Well, the thing is though, I remember asking in the middle of Trump's term, what happens to the GOP post Trump? Does it go swing back to Romney or does it stick Trumpian? And most of the people who answered me said, it's probably going to go back Trumpian. I know. I beg your pardon. It's going to go back to Romney. Yeah. Uh, that, that just that ain't happening. Institutional support for Trump. But to the contrary, I think a Romney has now no chance of winning I the agree. Republican nomination. None. 
it, it disappeared just like that. Right. That, that's an amazing, very, very interesting historical uh, moment and achievement on Trump's part is that there's no chance of a Jeb Bush being victorious no. now. So that <laughs> means to me. And he was a serious contender just six yes, years ago. Yes, he was. Oh, geez. And boy, did he brutally, brutally <laughs> uh, dispose of, of Jeb Bush. So it means to me that low the, energy. Who, who's left? <laughs> if it's not Romney, then it's somebody in Trump's mold. It's a DeSantis. Right. It it could even in theory could even be a Tucker Carlson, mm-hmm. uh, whom I I suspect would not do it only because uh, I you know they they ruin your life at this point. I mean, it, of course they didn't do it to Romney because they knew Romney was a team player. But exactly. they but the Trump thing is also it's partly Trump specifically something about him as an individual that makes them crazy. But that was also meant as a lesson to anybody else who wants to be in his mold. And so. your life's going to be ruined and they're going to try to destroy you in every conceivable way. They're going to, they're going to hurt your family. They're going to hurt your finances. They're going to hurt your reputation, uh, your ability to get work and whatever they're going to, they're going to do all of it. I'm not sure. I think if I were Tucker Carlson, I would just want to stay on TV doing what I'm doing. Yeah. But I think that because the Romneys and the Bushes have been dispensed with, then I think the GOP becomes a channel for a Trump style outsider. It doesn't have to be somebody who agrees with Trump on every issue. But it has to be an anti-Romney, anti-status quo outsider. I think there's still the prospect of that. As much as the GOP has frustrated me and I, you know, I want to commit an atrocity and everything else, I think the unique circumstances of the present moment make a lot of a, a lot of new things possible. Well, I I certainly hope you're right. Uh, the reason I question whether or not there's electoral any reason for electoral optimism is not that I, I don't believe that there's enough market demand or that the people haven't been woken up to the extent that they might support someone like that, but rather whether or not they will allow for a, a, a legitimate election, just to be blunt. And I know we're not allowed to talk about that, so I'm not even going to ask you to go deeper on it. Um, but it, it just things are so insane and, and it's so obvious that they have realized like it's just obvious to me that they're very desperate. They're desperate to hold on to power. And I feel like Donald Trump set set back their well-laid plans by four years. Everything's been expedite, expedited to a point of complete insanity. Um, well, I guess I'll, I'll ask you that. It, do you think that that we avoid World War III? I mean, is that is that really their intention? Because it, it, it seems to me that they are doing everything in their power to bring it about, to, to force Russia into doing something rash, to... Uh, justify an Article 5 violation, and God knows what happens from there, but it doesn't look good. It doesn't, but yet I have to feel like there are enough sane people who, who they cannot allow the world to be destroyed. I mean, what's the fun of being an elite uh, uh, on top of a pile of rubble? Yeah, in a wasteland. What's the fun? <laughs> you know, all the people you want to lord it over are dead. What's the fun? You know, you can't, you can't, um, you, you can't you can't rule over and, and brainwash anybody anymore. So and, and you know, maybe even the Russians might even say, all right, the Americans have obviously lost their minds, but somebody here has to prevent the destruction of the world, right. which I would prefer not to be remembered for. Yeah, I, I actually said um, that I mean, a couple. I, I, mean, I said I that a couple I'm weeks not ago. Come on here and say uh, the destruction of the earth is an absolute guarantee and it's going to happen. I because oh, I don't no. believe that. And I don't even want, I don't even want to have that vibe. Sure. But I do remember my daughter 
well, I have five of them, but one, the one who's 12, back in March, asking me if she thought there was the prospect of nuclear war. And at that time, I, I had thought it never even crossed my mind. Mm-hmm. I said, oh, no, 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 neither side wants that. There's just no way. Now I'm just kind of hoping she doesn't bring it up again. <laughs> like, because like, I'm not going to lie to her this time if she asks me yeah, again. <laughs> I still have to sugarcoat it as much as possible. She is only 12. Oh, I don't no, want no. Her having yeah. anxiety. No, no, I don't want that... her having adult concerns when she's just 12. No, at that age, I, I completely agree. There's there's a reason we don't <laughs> tell our kids the 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 highest level of concern truths uh, sometimes. And I remember when I was young, I first learned about uh, Hiroshima and Nagasaki, and I, I lost <laughs> nights of sleep. I was just like, this is unbelievable. Like, we have weaponry like this? Like, what are we doing? I had this bizarre fixation in, in, as a teenager growing up in the 1980s with what nuclear war would be like. Mm-hmm. Uh, even though in the 80s, it was much less likely than it was in, in the early 60s, let's say. But I was still interested in it. And there was this made-for-TV movie with Jason Robards uh, called The Day After. Mm. And it was terrifying. And you were not, you know, parents, at least my parents did not want me to watch it. And they were pretty uh, permissive when it came to what I could, I pretty much watched what I wanted. But they didn't want me to watch this because they thought it would be traumatic. But I snuck, I figured out a way. I (laughs) I eventually watched it. Of course. And... It was fascinating and indeed terrifying. It was a terrifying movie. But then I only recently, like within the past year, did I find out about the British movie, kind of low-budget movie called Threads. Did you ever see that? No, don't know that one. Oh, okay. Threads from the 1980s. Now, Threads spends more time not just on the immediate aftermath, but on like six months later, what's it like? A year later, five years later, 10 years later. What's the world like? Mm -hmm. And- I found out about it because I was reading a book um, by, by Stephen Wilson, one of my favorite musicians, and he was listing movies that he's really uh, been affected by. And he said that in threads, he put in all caps, nothing good happens to anybody in this movie. And then he <laughs> said, things become extremely, extremely grim, and then they become catastrophically worse. And I thought, <laughs> I've got to see this. <laughs> I've always had uh, an affinity for dystopic movies. Uh, I think yeah. it's it's funny. I don't too know because why. I don't I'll, know why. I'll, I love them. I don't know why I, I'm attracted I've, to them. I've given a ton of thought to this. Uh, I have a thesis. See if you agree with it. It's because any dystopic tale almost by its very nature must include some sort of tyrannical government. So they have to highlight the Ooh. the downside of government. So from a libertarian yeah. perspective, it's just very appealing. Well, I was about to say, well, except in the in the um, you know the nuclear war thing. Yeah, okay, but who launched the missiles? It was exactly it, they were governments. So. Yeah, and it, and and usually in the the dystopic hellscape, there's always some sort of you know totalitarian panopticon that's able to uh, regulate your speech and your online activity, all this stuff. So, um, well, I really you know, think- there's this, there's this moment in in threads where people are, you know, they're all haggard and starving and. They're they're I don't know if, if it's a if it's a depot with food in it or what it is that they're trying to get access to. And the police are pushing them back and telling them to return to their homes. And one of them says something like, what do you expect us to do? Mm. And of course, everyone realizes at that moment, there is no answer to that question. Mm-hmm. And, and I think maybe one of the more terrifying parts of it um, 
even though it may not be the most terrifying part of the movie, for some reason, it really got to me that there were news reports, you know, where electricity was still, was still uh, going saying, you know, talking about the catastrophic destruction and then just simply, um, you know, with, with no fanfare saying uh, rescue efforts are unlikely. Rescue efforts are unlikely. Like, in other words, they've broken the back of the, of the state, so we can't even provide our so-called services anymore. And so you're, you're on your own. Rescue efforts are unlikely. Oh, man, that's terrifying. Yeah. Well, I... World War III would be that for sure. <laughs> so let's let's pray it doesn't happen. I do yeah. have uh, one other subject I wanted to ask you about before we get there. I got another comment. Green Flash says, Tom Woods for president with Clinton's VP. You let me know when you want to run, Tom. I'm, I'm in. Okay. Uh, <laughs> I do have uh, one more sponsor I got to think. so let me do that real quick. Um, today, I want to tell you guys about an opportunity to jump headfirst in the liberty movement and make a real impact. Young, Amer Young Americans for Liberty is currently recruiting campaign field staff to help elect pro-liberty candidates across the country. These hardcore candidates are dedicated to fighting for federal gun nullification, defend the guard, and criminal justice reform, all issues that I hold close to my heart, and many other hardcore liberty policies. If you are ready to be a part of the fight, stand against the establishment, and make a real change in 2022, you can join one of these campaigns from now through November 8th. You don't have much more time. Get on it. Gas is completely covered. Housing is fully provided, and you will be compensated a total of $2,800 a month. Not too shabby. For your work on the campaign trail, go to yaliberty.org forward slash Liberty Lock Pod. The link will be in the description, so you don't have to memorize that. Just go check it out if you're interested. Young Americans for Liberty is still doing great work. And uh, sign up. Make a real change in our country today. We ain't got much time left. Get on it, folks. We're back with Tom Woods. Thank goodness. I'm so glad I finally got to have you on. Um, I wanted to ask you a little bit about entrepreneurialism because you don't know much about me, but I was an entrepreneur. and um, I actually retired <laughs> to before I started the show. I didn't intend to retire. I was a mortgage broker. I thought I would do it probably until I was at least 50. But, um, you know, the government had different plans for me. Uh, so I started started this show. And now this is a career path. And who who knew? Um, but what what has always concerned me, and I know you've talked about this in the past, is that libertarians broadly, I think, understand both capitalism, economics, uh, market forces, all sorts of things that are very important to become successful as an entrepreneur in, in really profound ways. And in my opinion, we have what I would co consider, you know, one percenter type knowledge, information that differentiates us, that sets us apart from the competition that should allow all of us, if utilized properly, to capitalize and become far more successful than the average person. And yet it doesn't seem to transfer over as much as I would like it to. Do you have any ideas as to why? Hmm. So, <clears throat> okay, okay, just give me the last bit again. What, okay. what doesn't why, transfer over? Uh, basically, why are why are more libertarians not utilizing the Austrian economic background, the understanding of business and marketing, and all these other things that, in, from my vantage point, is kind of built into the libertarian framework? Yeah. It doesn't seem as if it as yeah, Okay, if it that's what I thought. Okay, that's what yeah. I just to make sure I understand. Um, you know, it's interesting. Walter Block famously has this book, Defending the Undefendable. He has multiple volumes of it. And I'm trying to remember which one has it in there. But he's got, um, I think he's got the middleman as one of them. And we have to cut out the middleman. Well, mm -hmm. why was there ever a middleman if we just need to cut him out? You know, it didn't mm -hmm. even serve some purpose. 
Of course. Or um, the advertiser. The advertiser is terrible. And usually they're left-wing arguments against the advertiser. The advertiser uh, um, stokes desires that you wouldn't spontaneously have. Uh, you know, And that was the John Kenneth Galbraith criticism of advertising. But if that were true, that advertisers could just gin up any old desire they wanted, then nobody would ever need to do any marketing research uh, to see what the public wants. They just have to come up with a really snazzy ad and it'll always work. So this was Rothbard's answer to, to Galbraith. So, um, so it, it does, it does make me unhappy to see even some libertarians acting as if, uh, selling something is somehow, uh, shady or underhanded or advertising is sort of wicked, uh, in some way, or marketing is bad. If, if libertarians aren't going to, uh, going to defend marketers, then no one, then no one's going to do it. Uh, <laughs> marketers themselves won't defend themselves because they've internalized the whole critique that all they're doing is shuffling papers around and they're not. No, the marketer is the guy who makes sure you know about that product. Of course. So if you create a product, you're not also a specialist in how to get it out to before the public's attention. You're not, those are two entirely different functions. Mm -hmm. And so you need somebody who specializes in that. And I keep using the example of that icy hot product that people use when they have arthritis and it, it's painful to, to move around. And that icy hot product just revolutionized things. It changed the lives of many, many older people who were saying, now I can walk around, I can run around sometimes with my grandchildren and enjoy my life again. Now, what good would the scientists who put Icy Hot together, what good would that have done if nobody found out about it? If it wasn't packaged for the public and publicized in a compelling way, it may as well not ever have been invented. So if we don't get that, we who understand how markets work, like we're the ones who defend quote unquote price gouging during an emergency because we're not illiterates. You know, we understand that <laughs> at this very time when there's a sudden unexpected scarcity, if you interfere with prices, you're going to make everything worse. So we're willing to defend that. We won't defend marketers. We'll defend price gouging during a hurricane and we won't. <laughs> come on. Yeah. How bad could marketers be, right? Well, I've so, had I've had the uh, you know listeners of mine who have unsubscribed when they realized that I used to be a mortgage broker, but the truth is, I was a private money mortgage broker. I had private investor capital. I had private borrowers. I didn't have access to the Fed window. I did it OG banking style, where I put a client together with a borrower, and I'm the middleman that that makes the magic happen to make sure that the investment is valid for my my investor. It, it's such it's so crazy to me that like just because we hate the current banking establishment that they would then extrapolate that into, well, if you do any sort of lending, you're scum of right. the earth. You're it's part like, of it. Yeah. It's crazy. Yeah. So, crazy. so yeah. So I've found that if there's not as much crossover as I think there should be, and, and, you know, it's like, it's almost like theorizing about the capitalist system is more important than being in it. Yeah, uh, and and this is this is unfortunately one of the bad qualities of of, liber of some libertarians. I remember Rothbard used to get so frustrated at how many libertarians were fascinated by science fiction but bored to death by foreign policy. You know, <laughs> it, it should you know it's uh, nothing against science fiction, right? And nothing. I no. love science fiction. I some of my favorite books in the world are Douglas Adams' Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy series. Mm -hmm. right? Okay, I love it. But I see his point, you know, and and why I think sometimes the reason we like we like science fiction is that it's a whole new world, a whole different world. You know, we can imagine a whole new world because with libertarianism, in a way, we're kind of imagining a different world that we create with new rules and, and so on and on. So yeah. I kind of get that. But yeah, we, I, we I believe I, in science fiction. Libertarian deeply. academics 
who publish mm. books that no one ever finds out about. They come on my show, they get a little publicity. No one ever finds out about. If these libertarian academics built up a mailing list and uh, promoted their book to their mailing list, they would do vastly better. They, they would ha have much, much more successful, comfortable lives. And yet I can't get any of them to be interested in it. And so they just continue in obscurity when that's absolutely avoidable. They absolutely could avoid being in obscurity if they would just study different ways to build audiences, connect with the audiences, give things to the audience, heaven forbid, sell things occasionally to the audience. Right. So it's something I'm working on. I'm trying to make things better, but, you know, see how it goes. No, you're, I mean, I think that your work has been invaluable in that regard. And I think that you've been an inspiration to many people, including myself. And, um, you know, obviously I already had the entrepreneurial spirit, but, uh, you know, to see someone like yourself or Dave Smith, uh, Dave in particular was the one who really inspired me because I saw him on Joe Rogan like six years ago. And I was like, oh my God, it's me. It's me on Joe Rogan. Cause like, that's, that's <laughs> literally how I felt about it. And, and I realized suddenly that like, okay, there's a market for this. Like if, if if Dave can do it, I can do it. It's kind of like seeing the, the first guy to run a sub four minute mile. It's like, oh, okay, it's possible. Like you can actually do this. It's incredible. And then all of a sudden there's a dozen people doing it. And um, I'm just so grateful for, you know, the people that kind of laid the groundwork to give me that that case study, that proof that it's possible. Cause it's well, I don't, I don't think I would have done it otherwise. Example of somebody, um, a libertarian I've known since the first Ron Paul GOP presidential campaign. And that's John Bush. And John Bush is a great example of a libertarian entrepreneur who actually caters to libertarians. Uh, like, so he's not a libertarian entrepreneur who, you know, makes nails or something. Hmm. He actually makes, he has products for libertarians. So whether it's homeschool training or um, how to use Bitcoin or stuff like that, or, uh, you know, how to buy land in the country and build a parallel, build parallel structures. Uh, you know, how to how to protect yourself financially during the Great Reset. And so he puts on these these summits, sometimes in person and online. So hybrid, sometimes just online. And it does very, very well. I mean, he charges X for them and he he does pretty well. And then also it's a great way to build a mailing list because mm. people they want to be because he'll make the first two days of the summit free. And so you sign up to watch it. And you get tremendous value from it. But now you're getting John's emails and John will pitch you the next thing and the next thing. That's how you do it. That's exactly how you do it. Uh, if, if you don't know what, quote unquote, product to create, create a summit. Just no, do that. I and that builds agree. up a mailing list for your next event, which builds up one for your next event. And then you go to somebody like me who has a mailing list and you say, I'll give you half the registration fee if you bring people to my summit. Uh, okay, well, I'll send out an email about your summit then, if it's something that I believe in. If, you, if it's a summit about of course. building the new socialist society, you can stick it you know, <laughs> where the sun don't shine. But if it's something that I believe in, then absolutely I'll do that. And that. So then he gets people who've been following me. I went to the work to attract them, and now he gets them. So these yeah. are very simple things. I mean, when I say simple, I don't mean there's no work involved. There's plenty of work. Simple, I mean the concepts are easy to grasp. You can, right. As soon as I explain this, you instantly understand what you need to do. Uh, so, you know, do it. Yeah. No, it's so funny that that's, I did a, uh, a little eight minute rant a couple of days ago about how I became a millionaire at 34 and literally the way I ended it was you can do it, do it. <laughs> like yeah. it, it's, it's so funny because I, I think that's really the issue. It's not, it's not lack of knowledge. It's lack of go, like you have to go. And, uh, yeah. I hope, I hope 
shows like yours, shows like mine are inspiring more people to do that. We need people to do that. Uh, we're we're past time. I got one more super chat and I'll let you get out of here. Uh, Battle Elf says, hey, Liberty Lockdown, how should a high value elf prepare for the apocalypse? Well, uh, you know, guns, bullets, land. Uh, honestly, I think that real estate's a terrible investment at the present. Uh, but I honestly, if you're looking to buy it for compound purposes, that's a totally different way, way to do things. Right. Um, uh, apocalypse level, I, I don't think there's much to prepare for investment wise. Like you just have to, I mean, transition everything into weaponry <laughs> and, and food. <laughs> so, yeah. Let's hope it doesn't come to that. Yeah. I don't, I don't honestly like thinking about investing for the apocalypse. It's, uh, let's just hope we can do our best to avoid that. But Anyways, see, there's Tom, your summit. You know, if you're out of ideas, you could, you could come up with something called investing for the apocalypse. Bring on some experts. There's your summit. It's a catchy ass title, brother. Do it. Do it, Battle Elf. Um, uh, Tom, go ahead and tell people where they can follow you and we'll hop out. All right. Well, the best thing to do these days is, uh, as usual, I have a free ebook, but this one is on national divorce, which is obviously necessary, but it's hard to get through to a lot of people on it. And there are some really compelling arguments for it. Chapter one of it is one of the best things I've ever done in all the years I've been around. So uh, you can get it at nationaldivorce.com. It brings me pleasure to use that domain because uh, it's, I'm so glad I own that. Nationaldivorce.com. Fantastic URL. Oh my goodness. It's in the loving hands of Woods. That's awesome. I'm so glad it could not be in better hands. <laughs> Thank you. Now, that one I've said a few times. Usually you can buy a domain for $10 or less. Not this one. <laughs> no, I'm sure you had to pay a little bit. This was bit a for that quote one. premium domain, but that's okay. I got it. It was worth well, it was worth yeah. every penny because it's it's going to become increasingly popular as things kind of become more evidently screwed up. Um, you know, anyways, the, by the way, with, on, on this just very quickly, the other sure. one that, that ended up doing surprisingly well for me was I bought the domain AOCisWrong.com, but I bought it before and she wasn't always referred to as AOC at the beginning. That was not no one called her that. Right. I did AOC is wrong just because her name is so long. I'm not going to do Alexandria Ocasio Cortez is wrong.com. So I just thought, well, I'll just take those three initials. And then to my amazement, everyone started calling her that. And I already <laughs> owned AOCisWrong.com. Well, when she becomes president, that, that URL is going to be oh very Oh, my valuable. gosh. Yeah, but when she becomes president, <laughs> I will be in court like Alex Jones being sued for a billion dollars for some reason, some trumped up charge. Hey, I'll, I'll be right. I'll be there. I'll be your co-defendant. Um, anyways, thank you so much for joining me, Tom. It's been an honor. Uh, really have been looking forward to this for a long time. I, I'm not sure if you're familiar, but I've had... Uh, 10 people in my theme song that I shouted out when I first started the show two years ago, and you were one of them. Um, it's just uh, it's a, a, a amazing kind of capstone to my journey to have now had all of them on, except for Eric July, who I do have his phone number, but I am, I refuse to use it for guest purposes. I'm sure I'll get him eventually. He's very well, busy. I mean, once he, I would give him another month to emerge from the overwhelm from his guy. Exactly. I, I can't even get, but I'll tell you what, so the last thing <laughs> I was able to finally get Eric on, on uh, text because when he succeeded really well, I sent him and his wife a gift basket from a, not Omaha, but another big steak company. Sure. So he got a big, big box full of steaks oh, that's, as a congratulatory gift. And then he texted me and said, dude, <laughs> thank you for the steaks. And I said, all right, you got to come on my show. Oh, to see, you played it right. I, yeah. I got I to gotta send him some steaks then. <laughs> yeah, send him some steaks, then he'll text you. So anyway, no, it was my pleasure. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. Uh, hopefully we can do it again down the line. Um, okay. Uh, anybody who's watching still, please leave a comment, 
just leave a comment. It helps with the algorithms. Make sure you hit subscribe if you haven't. Share the show around. And uh, last but not least, if you want to support my work, go to libertylockdown.locals.com and sign up to become a supporting member of the show. Before we get out of here, I want to play for you guys a brief little eight-minute rip that I did. I sat down just to talk about kind of my mindset and how I became successful financially in life. I still have plenty of improvement to make on the uh, marriage kids side. So believe me, I'm not talking down to anybody here, but if you are interested in hearing a little bit about kind of the way I viewed the world as a young person and some steps, basically mental steps, I guess I took that uh, I think could be a shortcut for some of you out there, especially for my younger audience, maybe for the uh, audience my age, who knows? You've been programmed. I think more than anything, that's the message I wanted to convey. And I figured a good lead in to get you to listen would be to tell you how I became a millionaire by the time I was 34 years old. The wealth accumulation is not the point. In fact, I'm not even going to tell you the details of my investing philosophy or how I got there logistically, but more mentality-wise. From the youngest age, I remember having teachers and just people of influence in my life that told me all of the worst possible tips on how to be, become successful in life. And I don't blame them. It's a conveyor belt of misinformation that they're taught from a young age and then it works decently for them so they pass it on or maybe it doesn't work for them at all and they pass it on uh, just because it's all they know <clears throat> more than anything it's a willingness to think for yourself and to have a faith and a belief in yourself that sets you apart from other people from the youngest age i can remember this feeling distinctly that everyone in my life didn't really understand what I did. A deep faith in yourself and a belief in what you can achieve and accomplish is everything. I know it sounds like a platitude. I know. I'm sorry. It's just reality. Reality is truly what you make it. It's not to say there aren't outside influences that can disrupt your well-laid plans, but hope and belief in myself, that is the key. And what I want to imbue in you guys is the courage necessary to pursue it with reckless abandon. If you want to create something truly spectacular, you have to believe first and foremost that you can, and then you have to go do it. Yes, I know, another platitude. All of this seems very simple, but for whatever reason, through you know K through 12, through public schooling, this kind of gets drained from us, where they believe a nine to five job and a corporate gig and you know turning in your projects on time is really how you get ahead. It's not really true. Almost every hyper successful person in the world has done it on their own. They have done it, perhaps, well, they worked that nine to five gig, but they did a side hustle, their true passion. And I think that's really been the key to my success throughout life is that 
instead of doing what I was told was necessary, I was constantly thinking and pursuing what I was passionate about. You will never work more tirelessly than when you're pursuing your passion. And so few people in life pursue their passion. And from a more macro perspective, it's so powerful when you have people in the collective that are pursuing passionate projects as opposed to what needs to be done to survive. And I really believe that ultimately in times of great tumult, like we're living through right now, we need to have hope and innovation and courage to go get it. The people that are, that have been listening to me for two years now, I know for, I know the vast majority of you guys share this worldview because basically we're talking about all this tyrannical shit all the time. And it's so, it's so blackpilling, but the fact that you guys are able to listen to me, you know, week after week and still function tells me that you're dreamers. You know, you believe that we're going to get through this, even when the odds seem so stacked against us and good Lord, do they seem stacked against us? I grant you that. But just as I do with my own life, I have this unyielding faith in my own capacity to, to survive and thrive and succeed. I believe that you guys share that. You share that, that faith. And I just want to encourage you guys that like when things are as bad as they are, and they are bad, this is when we need you most. And I need you most. And the world needs you most. You have the abilities. You have the vision. You're dreaming of a free world while we slip into totalitarianism. That is, that is optimism that very few people have. So instead of dealing with the programming that you've suffered along with me since childhood, break free. Believe that you're capable and know that we need you now. I really do need you now. It's so, it's so hard to keep that optimism when you see, especially when you understand like on a Austrian economics level, <laughs> how bad things are going to get, you know, but people say that history repeats itself and history does on a, on a macro scale repeat itself, but on a micro scale, it doesn't an individual, the unique individual that is able to innovate and create and flourish through the harshest of times. They exist in all periods. They existed during the cultural revolution in China. They exist, they exist today, in North Korea. They have existed at all times in all circumstances, no matter how dire. So even if history is repeating itself and we're entering a tyrannical period, you can still be the outlier. In fact, you could still be that historical cognate that brought us from the darkness back into the light. And from my vantage point, the light is freedom. This is weird as the sun rises, <laughs> sun, sun breaks through the clouds as I talk. Um, I really believe that. I believe that no matter how bad things get, 
there are going to be a select few that will, no matter what, their lives are going to be improved in ways that they can hardly imagine. And obviously, I believe I'm going to be one of them because I have that unyielding optimism. And uh, I hope many of you will be the same. I believe many of you will be the same. I don't know. I just think that I, I talk a lot about how bad things are, and I wanted to convey the reasons I have optimism and I have hope. You can do it. Big shout out to everybody that's been with me since Jump Street. Appreciate y'all. Welcome to Liberty Lockdown, please scan your barcode Your liberty ain't gone, but yeah, it's on hold Where did it come from and where did it go? It requires a fight, not tweet from your phone Don't need a king, get him off the fucking throne If you're riding with the thought, you've always got a home The virus is scared of, will come and it'll go The government knows, just don't get treated like a hoe Like Nico and Shane, you're probably wondering what's happening Scared Hollywood left these lyrical feppin' A typo with Luke might bring them nooses We all bite the bullet, I'm the king of the gooses Freckles and Brit, didn't know I could spit Knew I was a patriot, but now I'm the shit Peter Quinones, invite me on Which podcaster sends custom songs Part of the problem, now I stand with the people Dave showed the way, but I am unequal Lions of Liberty, now hear me roar Beat running out, but I got a bit more Robbie the Fire, always running his mouth But I made him a sandwich, now I'm man of the house The malice for Nick, but you're welcome to quit I went over BLM with the fire I spit Friends against government just call us fags Copy the Cairo, put mummies in the bag Liable opinions get thrown on the ground Silky's Mouton was the only sound Getting so hot must be air July Screaming in the mic and rip a 59 Miles to ratio that black guns matter Now all these lefties got crazy small bladders None of us wanted war but we're ready You know I be bopping and rock steady Liberty lockdown, please scan your barcode Your liberty ain't gone but yeah it's on hold Where did it come from and where did it go It requires a fight, not tweeting from your phone Don't need a king, get him off the fucking throne If you're riding with the thought, you've always got a home The virus is scared of, will come and it'll go The government knows, just don't get treated like a hoe